0: So, my mates, welcome to it's, it's. I'm talking like a Monday, <laughs> kind of like a heavy lift it's here. All right, but well, we are here. Hope the weekend uh, was good. It was fairly quick, if you ask me. But what we, weekend? We, okay, we are here, and we're following the latest in the fight for justice for Shanquilla Robinson, and the latest warning coming out of Florida for Black Americans. Want to welcome you to Foxhole's Black Report. I'm Courtney Hicks, and
1: I'm Nicole Corte, Plus, the disabled woman who's suing her landlord for millions, and we continue to further the conversation on foster care to the stories that impact our people.
0: We're gonna bring you our news, our views, and our voice. So let's get into our big conversation for the day. Over the weekend, authorities recovered the bodies of two missing boys from New York after a week-long search and may have heard about it. They found 11-year-old Alpha Barry's body in the Hudson River. Alpha was reported missing on May 14th, two days after he was last seen with his friend Garrett Warren. An autopsy, autopsy is scheduled to determine the cause of death and foul play is not suspected at this time. Now, Garrett's body was discovered last Thursday near the Madison Avenue bridge. That's over the Harlem River. The medical examiner ruled his death as an accidental drowning. The investigation uh, for both boys is still ongoing.
1: I know there are a lot of question marks related to this case. Mm-hmm. There are some folks that wonder, you know, were they pushed into the water? How did they get there? And so, uh, you know, these autopsies are just being performed. We, know, we won't know this information for a while but uh, you know it's heartbreaking nonetheless you know there's there's a family and there's a school community mm-hmm. um, that is in mourning. Um, These were really bright kids. These were kids that were, uh, you know, celebrated by their peers. And um, it really is just tragic to see them, see their lives cut short this way.
0: Yeah, and we'll continue to send our our love and our prayers and our thoughts out to uh, the families. And we will continue to follow this story as the investigation continues as well.
1: Yeah. Well, the NAACP issued a formal travel advisory for Florida on Saturday, criticizing Governor Ron DeSantis' actions as detrimental to diversity and black history. The civil rights organization, along with other groups, cautions travelers against visiting Florida due to concerns over the state's direction. NAACP President and CEO Derek Johnson urges allies to join the fight for democracy. Florida's tourism industry, which attracted 137.6 million visitors in 2022, significantly contributes to the state's economy and job market.
0: Well, let me tell you, Mr. I Want to Be President 2024, um, he better, you know, listen, I know he has a lot of supporters, a lot of people who are down for his platform, but he also has a lot of pushback going on. So you now have the NAACP saying, hey folks, so don't even go to Florida, much like the, the travel of advisory for places like Jamaica and, and, and Columbia and Haiti. But you have Disney who for, for years on top of years Years, since the beginning of Disney has pretty much owned Florida, just in regards to the real estate and the impact of their economy, saying, hey, we're cutting out on this deal here, $1 billion development uh, deal that they they cut, and there's some other uh, resources and projects that Disney has on the chopping table that, you know, critics say are directly related to the way that this man is choosing to run this, uh, this state.
1: It's going to be interesting to see to what degree Democrats run against Ron DeSantis and, you know, sort of the, the, the Florida mm-hmm. uh, that exists today under his leadership, right? Um, because so much of what he's done in Florida is antithetical to what the Democrats stand for, what Democrats believe across the country. Um, there are some folks that suggest that President Biden is welcoming uh, DeSantis into the race for president and intends to run hard against all of the madness that we have reported on happening in Florida. I mean, the business community, the African-American community, the LGBTQ community, women, uh, folks that are in favor of of reproductive health care, there is no constituency that has not uh, been in the crosshairs of Ron DeSantis. And mm-hmm. so uh, we are going to be talking about this all election cycle. For
0: a very, very, very long time. And I like the word you coined, madness, because mm-hmm. that's exactly what's happening in Florida. All right, so let's go to California. Uh, a story all too familiar where students, black students, parents of black students at a California high school are concerned for their children's safety after a threatening Instagram post. Now, the threat featured an image of guns and racial slurs targeted uh, targeting black students at West Eastern High School, that's in Anaheim, uh, dissatisfied with the school's response. Parents feel the situation is not being taken seriously. The Anaheim Police Department is actively investigating the incident and has increased patrols at local schools. Uh, parents call for transparency and communication from school officials regarding their children's safety you know
1: where is the zero tolerance when it comes to these sorts of social media posts or even stories which as we know on IG you know disappear after 24 hours but you know once upon a time there used to be zero tolerance policies you know that you know would ensure that whoever was a part of this would be held accountable Um, And that, you know, this sort of thing would not uh, be allowed to go unchecked and unnoticed. You know, I feel like, you know, we report on this almost every week, you know, these copycats, you know, and, you know, these folks out there that are essentially terrorizing other students, right? I mean, imagine what it's like to, to, you know, wake up this morning, this Monday morning, and to be getting ready for school, and unsure whether or not was that post real? Was it not real? You know, the school says nothing to worry about. My parents are worried. You know, uh, you know this is this is no way to live. And in too many parts of the country, this has become normalized.
0: Yeah, and you know you have to, even if it's found to be a joke. You know, we're living in a society now where you have to confirm that thing over and over and over again, because we all know how things have gone awry when, you know, uh, authorities or communities or, you know, school boards didn't pay attention to the warning signs and how that resulted in just, you know, catastrophic measures. So even if this is a kid playing some kind of cruel, nasty joke, you really have to be vigilant and get to the bottom of it, because nowadays you just don't know. Yeah,
1: you don't. Well, a transgender teen in Mississippi missed her high school graduation after a federal judge denied her request to wear a dress and heels under her robe. The 17-year-old, identified as L.B., in court documents, chose not to attend the ceremony when told she had to wear boy clothes. The family filed a federal lawsuit against the school district, citing discrimination and violation of the teen's civil and First Amendment rights. This school district's policy does not specify dress code rules for LGBTQ students. The American Civil Liberties Union is representing the family in this case.
0: Which is a a good look. First of all, she's absolutely gorgeous. Secondly, we talk about this all the time because this is another hot button, if you will. At the end of the day, regardless of how you feel about this person's choices and how they identify, they are a human. And then secondly, for me, it's, it's under a, a, a cap and gown. So even if she wrapped herself in, in plastic wrap, I mean, what, what difference does it really make? Is that how petty you are going to be, especially when you don't have any bylaws, if you will, governing what someone should or shouldn't wear, especially under a graduation gown, and cap. Is this how petty you are going to be as this young lady transitions into a, a whole other level of her life as far as graduating from high school and what that means in our, our society? You're going to be concerned about what yeah. she or he is wearing under a, a, a gown?
1: And what's so cold about it uh, is that uh, she was told, um, uh, quote, I told her I was going to wear a white dress. She was referring to a conversation she had mm-hmm. uh, with the school principal who mm-hmm. called her into her office and you know, asked her what she was going to wear for graduation. First of all, where is that appropriate? Mm-hmm. Where is that in the training? Where is the teachers' union? Where is the, the union saying, wait a minute, that was out of line? Since when does a school principal call a high school student into their office to ask them, what are you going to wear to graduation? How many other students did this school principal call into their office and ask them that question? And so then, You know, she told the principal, I'm going to wear a white dress. And she told me I was not going to be allowed to wear a dress and I would have to wear boy clothes. That's what the school principal said, because the school principal had talked to the superintendent, right? This is just all foul. Mm -hmm. It's all foul. It's all wrong. You're targeting a student. You're making the student feel like they're inhuman and like they don't belong. And, you know, uh, I, I, I think you know people should be up in arms about it because today. You know, it's this student tomorrow. It could be, a, a, you know, another student, mm-hmm. you know, based upon another characteristic.
0: Yeah. And soulmates should also be up in arms about this Shanquilla Robinson case as the family and legal counsel traveled to D.C. seeking President Biden's intervention in her case. Robinson died in Cabo, Mexico, 200 days ago after being beaten by an associate during a vacation. The assault was filled and shared on social media. The FBI has not provided any investigation documents to the family, leaving them with unanswered questions. Reports of a recent altercation involving individuals allegedly connected to Robinson's death has surfaced, although it is unclear if they are linked to the original incident.
1: Jim Brown, a legendary athlete, actor, and activist, has passed away at the age of 87 known as one of the greatest football players in NFL history. Brown used his platform to advocate for civil rights and inspire other black athletes to speak out. Tributes poured in from notable figures, including LeBron James, President Barack Obama, and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, who praised Brown's on-field dominance and his commitment to social justice initiatives. The Pro Football Hall of Famer recognized his impact and legacy, while fellow Hall of Fame players expressed their sorrow and admiration for Brown. He will be remembered as a true icon and a trailblazer both on and off. Field.
0: And when you talk about on the field, I mean legendary, one of the best or the best to ever do it. So he was in a position called the fullback, which is pretty much extinct now. It's kind of like a running back kind mm-hmm. of a kind of a thing now. But he really led the way for future generations like your OJs, like a, a Billy Sims, a Walter Payton, Emmett, Swi- Emmett Smith. Uh, and so he has been that that deal and that guy for those many generations of, of football players who came uh Behind him he also is an aquarian uh, we, we he shares a birthday with Michael Jordan but their birthdays are a day after mine so I kind of followed uh, mm-hmm. Jim Brown. I, I loved his stance on, you know, being a black man in America and how he had to fight. Let's remember, he was in the NFL in the late 50s and early uh, uh, to mid 60s. And uh, that was no uh, small feat aside from running up and down uh, a court uh, every every game day. Uh, he really accomplished a lot. I know that there's a lot of talk about maybe a checkered past with his personal life, some uh, domestic uh, issues happening. But, you know, aside from that, you can't take away uh, this legacy that he has
1: left. Yeah. Yeah. And and maybe it's a sign of redemption. I mean, there's a really beautiful social media post that his wife posted announcing um, his death and mm-hmm. mentioning that she was, you know, by his side as he transitioned uh, along with other family members. And uh, this was a wife that, uh, you know, there there had been a checkered past mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. in terms of, of allegations, you know, of abuse. But it seems like maybe they've turned the corner mm-hmm. and, um, you know, maybe they found peace right before he found peace. Sure.
0: Now, the only thing that they me off a little bit was the black exploitation movies. He did pop up in a few those every now and again. I like Mr. Brown. Come on. Now. Yeah. yeah <laughs> All right. But yeah. he will be missed for yeah. sure. All right. Vice President Kamala Harris celebrated Brittany Griner's return to the WNBA following her release from a Russian penal colony. Griner received a standing ovation before the game. But team suffered a 94 71 defeat against the L.A. Sparks. Harris met with the players from both teams, thanking them for their support during Griner's time in custody. Griner who scored 18 points in the game, expressed gratitude for the love from fans and emphasized the importance of appreciating every moment. She also reflected on the freedom to stand for the national anthem. Contrasting her experience in Russia, Greiner will continue playing on uh, Sunday in phoenix another big game for those ladies
1: i mean i really love to see Brittany griner you know continue to win Mm -hmm. Um, you know there are a lot of wrongfully detained americans around the world there are still wrongfully detained americans in russia as we speak Mm -hmm. Um, and a lot of folks don't have the opportunity uh, you know, to see their story come to the kind of conclusion that it's come to for Brittany Griner, for her to be back in the U.S., for her to be, ba- be back on the court, you know, after being away, um, you know, with, you know, seemingly no end in sight uh, while she was in Russia. And so, you know, I just, I love seeing her on the court. And I also love that she recognizes, you know, you um, This moment, and Mm -hmm. and and that her experience in Russia has sort of reinvigorated not just her patriotism, but I think the patriotism of a lot of other people. You know, Mm -hmm. you know, having the president, you know, pledge to go get her, and deliver on that promise and bring her back. I think that means something to folks. Mm -hmm. You know, it means that you did what you said you were going to do right? Um, and uh, it means that, that, that her uh, American identity is just as valuable and as important to our American interests as any other American overseas.
0: Right, because in most stories, we, and I say people of color, are usually either lost in the story or, or forgotten. And so uh, for them to really uh, hone in on her and get her back to where she needed to be was incredible. But big ups to her WNBA community, because if you think about what she's been through, to be able to bounce back Back and now on the court, you know, playing freely and be grateful for it, it is really a great moment. So yeah. good for her. And
1: all those good activists out there with the Bring Back Brittany Griner campaign, mm-hmm. could have done it without you. That's right. Just saying. Well, there's more to come right here on Foxhole's Black Report, how artificial intelligence
0: is interrupting the workspace. Uh-huh. We'll tell you the biggest issues entrepreneurs say impacts their businesses. All that and more coming up, soulmates. We'll be right back. You're watching Foxhole's Black Report. want to welcome you back to Fox Soul's Black Report. Appreciate you joining the conversation today. Let's go to California, where Governor Gavin Newsom is demanding textbook publishers reveal if they've uh, complied with Florida's request to remove certain race-related and historical topics.
1: That's right. The Florida Department of Education rejected a third of social studies textbooks proposed for the upcoming school year. Publishers were allegedly warned not to include restricted topics like social-emotional learning, and critical race theory.
0: Governor Newsom has written a letter to publishers seeking information on their compliance with Florida's curriculum changes. Concerns have been raised about the conservative moment uh, movement excuse me, in Florida pushing to remove certain ideas and, and subjects from schools, including social-emotional learning.
1: This is just another reminder, Courtney, that what's happening in Florida is happening to us all. It's happening across America, right? There are only a certain number of textbook publishers across the country. And so if a big state like Florida you know, changes their order and says, okay, you know, we will only approve textbooks that don't have you know, these references and this sort of text, right? Well, guess what? That's going to affect schools in other parts of the country. And so I think it's actually a pretty um, clever move by Governor Gavin Newsom uh, to get this on the record, so that people know, especially as Governor DeSantis is on the cusp of uh, announcing a run for the white house it 's important to get this information on the record so people know what they would be signing up for if they cast a vote for a potential president DeSantis.
0: I think it absolutely shifts the conversation as one of those could have had a could have had a v eight type moments like duh, get at the publishers. Why are you agreeing? To take this history out that was already included, so somebody somewhere said, "Yeah, this needs to be in these books." And if they're agreeing to do it, what kind of pressure? What's the strategy? Are you, as the head of a publishing company, you know, are you allowing your ideology and beliefs and whatnot to to interfere, you know, with history and the telling of all history from all, uh, you know, points of views? Yeah that, you know, why while you going head to head with DeSantis? How at these publishing companies who are agreeing to take this material out? I think it is extra dope of Governor uh, Newsom to bring this point up. And what's
1: so nonsensical about this is, like, there are there are a lot of people that put a lot of work into developing curriculums mm-hmm. that are age appropriate. There's a lot of work that goes into that. And you know these sorts of you know cutting around the corner moves you know by uh, you know, folks in the Florida Department of Education and elsewhere, um, you know, it it, it it does a disservice to the people that invest a lot of time and effort in developing curriculums that reflect, you know, the world that we all live
0: in. And maybe as soulmates, you know, we join the ranks of Governor Newsom, we start writing, we start sending emails, we, you know, pinpoint who these publishing houses are and who heads them up. And you know a soulmate will show up at a doorstep, <laughs> will show up at a doorstep peacefully and within, within the law in, in a moment. So it, it really shifts the whole thought of, how to approach this situation. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. Well, moving along, a retired disabled grandmother from Marion, Indiana, named Sandra Black, is suing her landlords for attempted eviction and discrimination. She's seeking $100 million in damages to be shared among herself and the entire black community. Black argues that blacks deserve financial compensation for the damages caused by slavery and racism. The claims, she claims that the court ordered her to remain silent about racism and forced her to accept unjust treatment. Black alleges a conspiracy involving the judge and appellate courts perpetuate racism within the American judicial system.
0: Yeah, well, it's, it all started with an eviction that she felt was very racist and and frivolous, and then it moved into the court system, and she has actually you know pinpointed and labeled all of the different challenges that she's had, not only with the landlord and the court. So she kind of feels at this point that they're in cahoots with one another uh, to keep her uh, from progressing with this case uh, through the courts. And, you know, she's asking for this money, not only for herself, but that she wants to spread it around because she feels as though, as most aunties and, and the elders in the community do, you know, thinking of others and, and how others have been suffering at the hands of this kind of wicked system in her, in her mm-hmm. point of view, in her perspective. So I appreciate the thought. Um, I'm hoping that if she doesn't get the $100 million, that at least for her particular case, uh, she finds uh, some justice, because it has really been a whirlwind with this uh, landlord, unfortunately, for, for this case.
1: And it's a real interesting take on reparations, right? It I is. mean, there it, are lots it of it cities across the tomorrow. country that are developing their own plans around, you know, reparations, or own proposals around reparations. And she said, no, I'm going to go ahead. This is my mm-hmm. proposal right here. Mm-hmm. You know, run me my check. Yeah. And I will distribute it uh matter of fact to, run me a check and I so I can run everybody in else a check.
0: <laughs> That's what she's talking about. All right now. We got to love it. All right. According to a clutch survey, small business owners who embrace artificial intelligence, AI, anticipate disruption in the next five years. However, 84% of companies currently using uh, AI plan to continue using it in the future. Businesses see AI as valuable in customer response, presentations, and marketing content creation as it improves efficiency. Some limitations of AI include a lack of personalization and difficulty. In identifying AI generated content, small business owners are advised to carefully evaluate AI service providers, considering industry fit, seeking references, and assessing how IA can address specific business needs and contribute to growth strategies. I mean,
1: you know, there are two sides of the coin here, oh, Courtney. Mm-hmm. On, on one hand, you know, this isn't the first time that there's been some sort of disruptive technology that's changed the way that business is done, right? I mean, you know, we all utilize Siri, for example. We utilize uh, Alexa. You know, these are all AI-powered technologies that you know, help us with efficiencies in different parts of our lives. You know, but on the other hand, you know, it, it, it's it's the misuse of these technologies. Mm-hmm. And I just worry about the impact this may have on service workers. Um, it's one thing to say, okay, we want workers to, to work more efficiently. It's another thing to say, we're, we're going to supercharge this technology so we can eliminate those jobs. And I think mm-hmm. that's where a lot of the anxiety is coming. Coming up for people in this conversation around AI is like, is AI gonna be coming for my job anytime soon? Well, it's is it's, AI gonna be delivering Foxholes Black Report too? I don't know.
0: Well, it's it's the uh, the misuse um, and and then for me it's more along the lines of the dark side of it all. You know, folks are you know already victims of you know AI you know schemes and scams, losing lots of money where they can, you know, double your voice and and make it sound like you're 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 calling a family member asking for sensitive information, and before you know it, your your bank account is wrapped, is is, is wiped out. So I think people, that the first level of concern, if you will, is that, the use for, you know, dishonesty and the disruption of everyday lives and the scamming and so on and so forth. And then, you know, at what point, you know, are we gonna say, okay, this is for a human, and we're not going to design this mm-hmm. stuff for for a non-human to do. So at what point? So who is sort of kind of like managing and governing this, this field? That, so those are my concerns right now.
1: Those are very important concerns, just saying. Mm -hmm. Well, Steve Ballmer and his wife's philanthropic arm will donate $42.5 million over five years to support over 100 black-led nonprofits focusing on economic mobility. The initiative aims to address the funding gap for early and mid-stage black-led organizations, which have significantly smaller assets compared to their white counterparts. Echoing Green and New Profit will provide advisory support and operational assistance to the selected nonprofits. Despite their impact, black-led nonprofits receive only 4 percent, 4 percent of philanthropic funding. The funding from the Balmer Group aims to empower these organizations to address racial wealth disparities.
0: You know, it goes back to show us the money. I just remember, you know, at the beginning and and during and a little bit after the racial uprising, everybody was promising to, to give this and promising to do that and bridge gaps and unity. And then a lot of those businesses, organizations, nonprofits kind of fell off. Or fell silent in regards to the help and the assistance and the support that they said they said they were gonna give. So in regards to a report like this, a story like this, keep it coming. And in regards to, you know, our grassrootsness of it all, you know, our organizations and our nonprofits have to matter to ourselves first before they can matter to anybody else. So as a community, as soulmates, if we're not aware and supporting these grassroots efforts, then how can we expect the folks from the outside who most times do have the money and the resources to dig in and, and help out. So I think it's a, it's about a level of awareness uh, from the village and the community uh, as well, the soulmates.
1: I, I think there's also an opportunity for us to think about philanthropy differently, right? Mm-hmm. You know, uh, one of my favorite uh, organizations in L.A., the Liberty Hill Foundation, their moniker is Change, Not Charity. And, you know, yeah, you can get 42 and dollars in charity, but, like, what change does it actually create? What are we doing to create more black leaders? We talk about Giving the black led nonprofits, well, only four percent, only four percent of nonprofits sort of you know hit that marker. And so what are we doing to develop more black leaders to lead these nonprofits? What are we doing to develop more black leaders in philanthropy, uh, for example? What are we doing to invest in systemic change, right? So we're not fighting the same fight year in and year out. But, you know, we are uh, making, uh, you know, significant progress in terms of the systems that touch our everyday lives.
0: I think there are so many nonprofits that mission, that goal becomes a little convoluted. And so my suggestion is like I do, pick one or two that you can really identify with and really support, whether it be, you know, hands-on or or some kind of financial support or or help them with their platform, because there's a lot going on out there. You just have to pinpoint what's going to work for you in regards to who you'd like to support yeah all right still ahead raising awareness for foster care
1: that's right may is foster care awareness month and the organization you gotta believe will join us to tell us how we can help you're watching foxholes black report we'll be right back Welcome back to Voxel's Black Report. Well, May is National Foster Care Awareness Month, and this month we have been highlighting organizations and stories regarding this very important topic to my heart.
0: That's right. And one of the biggest challenges of foster care today is finding permanent families for young adults, teens, preteens in foster care.
1: That's right. And joining us now is Jennifer Pender, executive director of You Gotta Believe, an organization who is a champion of awareness and hope for young adults, teens and preteens in foster care. Welcome to Foxhole's Black Report, Jennifer.
2: Thank you. Thank for having me. Appreciate it.
1: Well, thank you for being here. And so, first things first, tell us about the "You Gotta Believe" organization. I just love the name
2: yes i'd love to so we're a new york city based national organization and as you mentioned our focus is finding permanent homes for older kids in foster care and what many people may not be aware of is that there are kids that are aging out of foster care without family kids who have been freed for adoption who need a permanent home and so that's the population that we hone in on and that we support and to help them define the permanent home that they need and deserve yeah, so with that in mind, what are some of the obstacles or
0: myths you know, of foster care uh, for adoption of older uh, children, the preteens, the young adults? Right. Talk a little bit about that.
2: Sure, I mean, the first thing is that many people just aren't aware that adopting older kids is an option. And um, a lot of people are mostly focused on adopting little babies. I was actually a baby when I was adopted, so I understand that. Um, But there's so much value in adopting an older kid. Um, And the other piece about it that people don't realize is that adopting from foster care is actually free. People are spending upwards of 30 to $40,000 for private adoptions, whereas you can have this amazing experience and add to your family um, by adopting from foster care without the huge financial burden that, com- that comes with a private adoption.
0: Oh, wow. I think that's key. Yeah. I did not know that you learn something new every day. <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And, you know, and, you know, we certainly know that families comes in all, all different shapes and sizes. Can you talk to us a little bit about what types of resources you got to believe provides for individuals considering foster care or adoption?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, first and foremost, we train our parents. Our tra- our parents go through a 10 week, 30 hour training that I actually have been through myself. So I've been on that side of it. It's a, it's a phenomenal training. We even have people who have had bio- biological children themselves that they've raised that have gone through our parent training. And have said that this is the type of training that all parents should go through, whether you're adopting from foster care or not. So we provide that support. We walk our parents through the licensing process. We also walk them through the permanency process. So that means identifying a youth that would match with their household. So we don't just drop kids in any household. Mm -hmm. We take a very close look at the parent, the household, whether they have a dog, is there allergies? Do they live in the country? Do they live in the city? And we really make sure that it's a good fit And it's all very child centered, where the youth really has a voice in this entire process. If there's um, a match that we have in mind that we're comfortable with, we will not move forward with that placement. And what makes us really unique, one of the many things is that we provide unlimited support free of charge for as long as the family needs it. Mm -hmm. So if we place a youth with a family, if they have an issue five, 10, 15 years down the line, our staff is here to help them and we are staffed by um, credible messengers so that means that everyone in my program team has are either survivors of the foster care system or they've adopted from foster care system. so they really walk the walk and they have the ability to provide the type of high level, specialized support that our families and youth need. Yeah, so Jennifer, let's let's go back a little bit to the
0: difference between a private adoption and an adoption uh, in the foster care system. You mentioned, sure. you know, there's not as much of a financial burden uh, upfront, if you will. So talk a little bit about the differences. And then, you know, I'm sure we always hear about the, the, the stereotypes and some of the horror stories, but talk a little bit about uh, some of the uh, solid adoptions that you've changed some of the success stories that that we don't hear about based on a foster care adoption if you will Mm
2: -hmm. absolutely well what i've seen firsthand is that you know when these kids are left to age out and what that means is depending on where you live it's either 18 or 21 where you age out in the foster care system so if you have not been reunited with your biological family or if you have not been placed with a permanent family in, in the um, situation where your, parental, your parents' rights have been terminated, mm-hmm. that means that either at 18 or 21, you're left out on the world on your own without any support systems. So that's why we really focus on this need for permanent um, homes for kids in foster care. And what I see is that when, when these kids have the resources that all of us deserve and need, that come with the safety net of a family, they really flourish. And we're really missing out on a lot when we don't provide the support for those kids because everyone on my staff, all the foster kids that I've come in contact with, they're just a beacon of light. They have so much um, potential. And without that family support, you know, there, I know there's a lot that I wouldn't be able to do had I not been adopted. Mm. Um, so th- that's just one of the many reasons why we need to pour into our youth. Sure. I couldn't imagine being just put out in the world on my own yeah. 18,
0: 21, 30, listen. 52 <laughs> yeah <laughs> they said,
2: listen 47 still relying on oh, okay. right. my right.
1: goodness and sometimes we forget that you know foster youth need the same thing that a lot of other youth need as well right mm-hmm. sometimes we we stigmatize them i want to ask you um, for our audience of soulmates um yes. you know what is your pitch around supporting particularly black and brown foster youth. We know that they are uh, the least to be adopted, particularly Mm -hmm. as they get older. And so for folks that are watching this right now that are sort of waffling on whether or not they do it now or do it later or don't do it at all, what's your pitch to them?
2: I would say that we all have to acknowledge that the child welfare system is broken. And as you mentioned, black and brown children receive the brunt of that brokenness and we cannot we can no longer stand on the sidelines and watch that happen and there are multiple ways to get involved right you, if you're not ready to adopt that's fine find an organization like you got to believe that you can support either financially something as similar as, as simple as reposting a social media post as spreading awareness simply as having conversation to let people know that, that this this is a possibility that you can adopt older kids, that there, there is a value that they bring to this community, um, that they can bring a value to your family, um, that this is a way that we can combat the way in which the child welfare system has really failed our, our black and brown youth. Yeah, and you talked about support. Tell us how we can
0: you know, get in touch, link up, maybe follow you across social media yes. to offer up uh, that support in in whichever way we we can offer as, as soulmates yes, to, to your
2: program. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. On Twitter, we're at Adopt Older Kids. And um, we're also on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. And um, just please come check us out where our website is yougottabelieve.org. There's a lot of information there. You can reach out to us at any time. If you can just give us a call. If you have any questions, there's no pressure um, to support. We're happy to walk you through the process or answer any questions you may have about adopting from foster care.
1: Our thanks to you, Jennifer Pender, yes. the executive director of You Gotta Believe. Beautiful Go to yougottabelieve.org. We certainly believe in you. Thank you for believing yes. in us. Beautiful
2: work, sister. Thank you so, much. Work, thank you so much. We'll have you back for thank sure. You. Indeed. Absolutely, thank you. Anytime.
1: Supreme Court Justice Ketanji Brown-Jackson recently delivered her commencement address to American University law students delivering a pop culture feel address, leaning in on life advice from the reality television show Survivor. Say
0: it ain't so. The Supreme Court Justice told graduates quote, I am a Survivor super fan. She later stated, quote, if you make the most of the resources you have, use your strengths to make your mark and play the long game in your interactions with others. You will not only survive, you will thrive. Into that quote. Now, the long-running reality uh, series served as as the central theme of Jackson's address.
1: That's right. Jackson's speech came as the justices are racing the finish more than 30 opinions by the end of June that include divisive issues such as affirmative action, voting rights and religious liberty.
0: You know what? It's, it's graduation season, so big ups to all of our soul mates who are graduating and, and going on to greatness. But you know, like teachers and sometimes how we think of our parents or, or maybe mentors in our lives, they are people and they do have lives. And the Supreme Court Justice loved watching Survivor. It was a big, huge show for a moment.
1: Yeah, very big show. And I wouldn't be surprised if she might even be a fan of Foxhole's Black Report.
0: I wouldn't be surprised either. It just shows that they do have personalities. they are, they are people, they are human, and I find it just so um, incredible to be able to, as they're supposed to separate that and be able to give a, a sound opinion or judgment on, you know, what the rest of the world or the rest of the country, you know, the way they should be leaning or maybe shouldn't be leaning, to separate that with maybe how you feel or you like your personality um, is very interesting and probably at times a daunting task because you want to go, this is how I feel about it, but you have to stay within the law. So to see a little personality at yeah. the again is a good look. And, and
1: at a time where a lot of people are questioning the credibility of the mm-hmm. U.S. Supreme Court, mm-hmm. a lot of people are feeling that the Supreme Court is just sort of sitting on high, whereas Everybody else is, is is trying to you know make sense out of out of their rulings that have a material difference on our lives, mm-hmm. and so especially for a historic first like Ketanji Brown Jackson, uh, it's great to see that uh, she's human too. Mm-hmm. She's relatable.
0: Indeed. Yeah. Indeed. All right. So let's talk a little bit about uh, voting rights and the urgency for voting rights reform. Nancy Ab- Abudu is the latest in a series of black women nominated by President Joe Biden and confirmed to the federal court. She is being held as a major win in the fight to protect the integrity of casting ballots and democracy here in the U.S. Biden nominated her to the 11th Circuit U.S. Court of Appeals in late 2021. It would take NEARLY TWO YEARS OF VARIOUS STAGES OF REPUBLICANS TRYING TO BLOCK HER NOMINATION BEFORE ABUDU WAS CONFIRMED JUST LAST WEEK. A A GOOD WIN?
1: A VERY GOOD WIN. A VERY BIG WIN. Uh, ONE OF MY Ghanaian SISTERS Mm -hmm. uh, ON THE Circuit COURT. Uh, THAT'S uh, A POINT OF PERSONAL PRIDE. BUT A POINT OF PRIDE FOR OUR COUNTRY IS THE FACT THAT, YOU KNOW, BIDEN IS DELIVERING ON HIS COMMITMENT TO DIVERSIFY THE JUDICIARY. WE'VE SEEN MORE BLACK AND BROWN FOLKS APPOINTED TO uh, JUDGESHIPS UNDER HIS WATCH, MORE BLACK like women than all pre- previous presidents combined? Mm-hmm. That's no small thing. Look at how many issues we report on on a daily basis that are playing out in the courts right before our very eyes, and especially that 11th Circuit. This was a very, very big win for the Biden administration.
0: And no doubt about it, you're probably going to see Biden and his administration continue to stack the receipts as they move into this uh, presidential election. It is going to be uh, something to see. Maybe we thought 2020 was something, but... I don't know. I'm just feeling like this this election season we're about to move into is going to be something else. And, and the, the more receipts, the merrier for the Biden administration as, as they make good on, on the promises that he ran and won on.
1: Well, the stakes are definitely getting higher. Absolutely. Coming up, we know Beyonce and Jay-Z are a power couple, but this purchase it's next level, yo.
0: Yeah, it's kind of out there. We'll tell you all about their record-breaking real estate deal when we return. Soulmates, you're watching Fox Soul's Black Report.
1: Welcome back to Old Wax Report. Well, rapper Megan Thee Stallion is now a vision in wax.
0: The w- singer has not one but two wax figurines at Madame Tussauds in Las Vegas. Her statues are positioned on each side of a metal horse Meg posted the images on social media with the caption, I honestly wanted to kiss myself. A little Beyonce re, 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 renaissance-ish looking it's there, you some think? Rena- Give yeah, me some renaissance definitely, tea. Well, you know, they're like Houston mates, you know, both from Houston. So they definitely love each other and collabed on a couple of records. Wow, so. that
1: looks a lot like Meg oh, and The Stallion Oh, they did a
0: wonderful job with that.
1: Wowie kazowie. It
0: looks like... Oh, that was her. It looked like almost three wax figures. That was her with the wax figures. Big ups for Megan. Yeah.
1: That's yeah, fantastic. No, I, mean, I, I, I think it's great. I think Megan Thee Stallion, she's the, the gift that keeps on giving.
0: She is indeed.
1: And now uh, we get to see her in wax. That is... The uh, epitome yeah. of the gift that keeps on giving, because you keep to, you get to keep going in there yeah. and checking
0: around. So you got Beyonce has wax figures. I'm sure Michael Jackson has uh, wax figures. I can't think of who else might have a wax figure, but Dinah Ross, I'm sure. If you think of the big iconic, you know, folks, Whitney Houston, I'm sure has a wax figure. It all started in France. And where? France. You know, <laughs> where, and... Where that? <laughs> and, and, but, some, but sometimes they don't get it right. And and you looking at that wax figure like, uh-uh. No, try that one again. Melt that thing down and try it again. But Megan's was good. Yeah. Beyoncé's yeah. is good.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I feel like they've gotten better. Uh, with these wax figures, because back in the day, I mean, they used to look okay, mm-hmm. right? But I mean, like that really looked like a piece yeah, of it art. It good. looked like Megan Thee Stallion. It did good. Mm-hmm.
0: All right, so from France to <laughs> Atlanta, uh, ludicrous. Chris Bridges. Uh, he now has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame, and he became a little emotional during the ceremony. Listen in.
2: I am so proud of you, Dad. Congratulations to a legend of an artist and a legend of a father. I love you.
1: I'm just going to say I'm happy, I, I'm happy I got these sunglasses on right now. Just... It's been two decades in counting of building a brand and a legacy, and you guys are looking at my current village
0: oh wow gotta love it he's sharp too uh the actor and rapper was joined by ellen k vin diesel and ll cool j for the ceremony in addition to selling millions of albums lucris is also in the fast and the fury franchise including fast x which is in theaters now he's become like this a-lister
1: yeah i mm-hmm. mean he, he's been an a-lister for a long time mm-hmm. but i mean it's got to be a tall compliment to have your daughter Refer to you as a legend of a father. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't have any kids yet, but I, I can only imagine, you know, that having, you know, your adult kids, your young adult kids sort of, you know, be there to celebrate you in that way and and to pay tribute to you with those sorts of kind words, that was very moving.
0: Yeah, he definitely has a track that just is so very interesting, starting in the world of radio. And I want to say one of his partners very early on was Lala. Uh, Very, you know, humble beginnings in radio. And then, you know, he morphed into this rapper and now this this uh, not only an actor, but I mean, a mogul in his own right in regards to, you know, product and and, uh, you know, uh, endorsements mm-hmm. and uh, his uh, philanthropic efforts as well. He has really blossomed into uh, that dude and you know in the very beginnings you just did, you didn't exceed and or expect it like with most of those who have blossomed into what they've become and it's just really a good look and, a, and a, just a great story for you know the generations yeah. to come. Yeah. you
1: know, I mean I remember way back when when Ludacris was in the movie Crash that Academy Award winning mm-hmm. film right. You were like and, hold on. And there were a lot of people like oh wait a minute we didn't know <laughs> that that uh, that Ludacris could act yeah. this well and you know to see him just sort of to your point go on and mm-hmm. do so many other things mm-hmm. you know and that seems to be the blueprint you know yeah. a, a lot of these artists that start music um you know if they if they're uh, you know surrounding themselves with the right people they blossom into doing so much more than that
0: mm-hmm. speaking if, of blueprint Tell us about it.
1: And that was a great Jay-Z album, by the way, what just saying. Best,
0: what is of best, you asked
1: uh-huh. me. Beyonce and Jay-Z are new homeowners in Malibu, and it's the most expensive home to ever be sold in the entire state of California. Ooh. The Carters reportedly paid $200 million for it, and they paid it in cash. Mm. The home sits on an eight-acre bluff overlooking the Pacific Ocean. The estate is 40,000 square feet and it was previously owned by art collector William Bell.
0: Yeah, so we've already discussed, you know, the game plan because they held on to their current home mm-hmm. and and they've got this one. And one of the reasons why the price tag was so hefty is because that particular artist, who's very celebrated, this is my first of hearing from him, left the artwork and the furnishings. So so they were paying for for everything. And and I heard that artwork in and of itself is worth millions of dollars. But we were talking earlier saying that this home would be the entertaining home, entertainment home. Yeah, you think? I,
1: that's what I think. I, yeah. I think essentially the they purchased a museum. I mean, you know, if if you've seen pictures of the house, you know, it, it doesn't have the kind of warmth. It's very um, housey. That, that, that would be my taste. Building, right? Looking. Uh, it, it looked yeah. very, very uh, postmodern, maybe a little avant-garde, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I couldn't imagine, you know, all the. All the Carter babies running around that house that they just purchased, but I could imagine them entertaining mm. at that house. And so, uh, all I'm saying is Jay Z, Beyonce, you know, when, you, when the invitations ready, Courtney and I, we're right here.
0: Uh, okay.
1: You, what you ain't coming?
0: Well, yeah, I would go.
1: I don't know what that was. I don't
0: know what that was. I'm just not expecting an invitation (laughs) in time, that's what that is. But you dream big, baby. You dream big. All right. Uh, This is close to my heart. The iconic group, The Spinners, are paying a special visit to the Motown Museum. The iconic group is donating four authentic uniforms from their Motown days to be showcased in the museum's collection. Originally signed with Motown Records, the Spinners scored a hit with It's a Shame before making several more hits in the 70s with the sounds of Philadelphia folks. Original members, Henry uh, Frambro and G.C. Cameron, were on hand. Oh,
1: Look. What it, special look. It's a special look. Hmm. It's a special part of our history. You know, as I mentioned earlier, the Spinners were more my parents' generation. Sure. You know, but I'm loosely familiar with them. You know, Saturday mornings, cleaning up the house. Mm-hmm. You know, the Spinners were occasionally in rotation. But, you know, I just believe it's so important that we protect and preserve our history and the fact that these living legends can donate uh... you know some of their their collection Uh, to the Motown Museum, I think that's great. Uh, And I encourage folks to come on to Detroit and head on over to the Motown Museum because uh, it is a special place and uh, they have so many special artifacts that are so connected Mm -hmm. to our history.
0: Yeah, a good friend of mine from my radio days, he's now a part of, of the Spinners, so he's forging ahead in that legacy. And then my dad grew up with the Spinners. They're from the other side of 8 Mile Road, which is Royal Oak Township. And so my dad used to joke around saying he was like an original member of the Spinners. But he wanted to go off to college, so he let the guys just go on without him. We never believed my dad, rest his soul. But uh, I'm sure he's up in heaven dancing and spinning around because uh, he absolutely adored uh, this group. So it's a good look uh, for Detroit, and then you know, it's just for R&B and just that kind of legendary legacy all around.
1: We love to hear it. Yeah. Well, up next, it's black excellence from one 13-year-old student that you don't want to miss.
0: Yeah, we'll tell you the outstanding accomplishments this young man made, uh, and it will have him years ahead of his peers. This story is straight ahead on Souls Black Report.
1: A 13-year-old black boy has become youngest to graduate from college in Oklahoma City with two degrees in
0: cybersecurity and computer science. Wow. Elijah Muhammad graduated from Oklahoma State University after earning four diplomas. How do you do that? His sister, Shayna Muhammad, also recently graduated from college at 15. Now, aside from the diplomas and degrees, Elijah is also proud of having 10 IBM certifications and one Google IT uh, certification, a Google IT certification. That's it. Despite all of his extraordinary goals and achievements, Elijah said he still enjoys his teenage years and loves swimming and basketball.
1: Now, it's important to note that smarts must run in the family, as his sister, uh, Shania, recently graduated college at the age yeah. of
0: Wow. All right. Moving on here. The first black owned barbershop college opens its doors in Toledo, Ohio. Not too far from here.
1: That's right. T. O. L. Barber College. The first black owned barber school has opened its doors to aspiring entrepreneurs. Owner Antoine Turner, a barber himself, hopes to put students on a path for a better life. The school has 16 students and nearly 80% didn't have any experience in the barbershop world when they first came. But with daily lessons from certified barbers, they've made significant improvements.
0: Very nice. Turner says that with the recent string of gun violence involving youth in the city of Toledo, he hopes the school will provide an outlet for positive change and lead to a better community.
1: We love to see it. Uh, you know, look, Hmm. I'm, I'm always looking for a good barber. <laughs> <laughs> like you were <wording> today. <laughs> right? Let me tell you something. Ooh, I was looking for, because my, my normal barber here in Detroit was uh, unavailable today.
0: Well, here, I don't know, I can't speak on other cities, but here in Detroit, you're going to have to do your barbering Tuesday, probably through Saturday. You have some barbers that do a Monday, Sunday, if they want to, you know, earn a little extra cash, but honey, if you don't get in between Tuesday and a Saturday after, and some of these barbers uh, and, and stylists are even ending on Saturdays, early or We're not even working on the weekend. It's a Monday through Friday thing. So they get a little tricky. You just got to watch it.
1: When I'm in Toledo, I'm coming to visit them.
0: All right. For the full rundown on today's stories and more, you can access Fox Soul's video on demand on any of our partners. You can even access past shows and other black-centered content. Don't forget to download the Fox Soul app. It's free. I'm Courtney Hicks.
1: And I'm the Cordelai-Corte.
0: On behalf of the entire team here at Fox Soul's Black Report, stay lifted. And stay safe. We'll see you again tomorrow.